Okay, welcome back to another week of Latter Day Conversations here with Mike and Cade. Uh, we got some other exciting questions here, uh, some of which we actually picked last Wednesday, surprisingly, and uh, ended up being very good timing, I'll tell you that much. Uh, this first question I'll actually direct to you, Mike, is this. Can active members of the church support legalized abortion? And uh, to further that question, does the church take an official stance on this? Okay, yeah. So as Cade said, this is very relevant right now. And I know the listeners may not believe us, but we have a backlog of questions that we write or that are submitted to us. And um, every week after the episode, we choose the next three questions or topics that we'll discuss for the next week. So after last episode on Wednesday, we recorded it. We chose the next questions and one of them was about abortion. So we were just talking before the show how uh, how <laughs> we are really surprised that you know, the, that's, that's the rage. That's the topic right now. Everyone's talking about, but uh, we had it planned before it even happened. So um, yeah, pretty crazy. I guess we're just that in tune with the spirit. <laughs> so um, all right to the question. So can active members support legalized abortion? I mean, yeah, I guess active members can do whatever they want. They can even do things that'll make them lose their membership, but uh, can someone, uh, support legalized abortion and still be in good standing with the church as an active member who, you know, has the, the, the doctrinal beliefs and such. Um, yes, uh, the church does not disallow this from happening, although the, the church is pretty clear about where they stand with it. Um, so that, that leads into the next question, and I, I'm sure we'll elaborate on both of those, but that's the short answer um, from my side. So does the church take an official stance on this? Um, yeah, uh, over over time, they've made different publications and declarations that show where they stand on it. The the latest and I think most official one is probably in like uh, the LDS Church newsroom on a, on the topic of abortion, and there they have their uh, their whole stance. You can you can read it, but the main part is that they say, and I quote: "The church opposes elective abortion for personal or social convenience and counsels its members not to submit to." perform, encourage, pay for, or arrange for such abortions. And then they list out a few possible exceptions that may be considered um, to, um, you know, to justify those exception cases of abortion. So that's, that's the main stance. It's, it's pro-life, um, maybe a soft pro-life, you know, with minor exceptions, but uh, that's the stance of the church. And you don't have to vote or agree with that, but they counsel, and I guess we'll have to be clear here that they counsel not to submit to perform, encourage, or pay for abortions. And I'll even go farther. They do say elsewhere that if you do so, your membership may be in jeopardy. You may be excommunicated for, for doing those things. Yeah. And that's a, a really good point. Um, the abortion in the church is not treated very lightly. Um, even like you had mentioned in the newsroom, that's probably the most official statement they've had recently, at least on the topic. Um, but this really is a serious matter. And they even counsel those who on occasion go through these, these exceptions that they list, right. You know, like rape, incest, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, they still recommend each member to go out and counsel with their Bishop um, until they, they receive an answer from the Lord to continue in the, the correct uh, approach from there on. And uh, I, I think clearly they um, understand that there, that, uh, aborting children is uh, murdering them as well. And so it's not taken lightly, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah, surely. The the treatment of the church is pretty clear. And I I think this is one thing we have to to harp on a bit because there are a I think it's a very to hop on the, the bandwagon of the political um, culture that is that is promoting pro-choice. And, you know, I, I think it's coming largely out of a motive to show compassion to women, women who are in, you know, cases of severe suffering and struggle and financial distress, et cetera, um, all of which are cases, you know, where all of us are sad for those women and think that they need help. And, you know, I think there are lots of things we can do to help them. But I think it's a very dangerous path to follow the logic that many of these members are taking. Um, so, you know, there's a little warning there. But um, going back to this question of, you know, if a church member is active um, and they do support legalized abortion, then what does that say about their beliefs? So I, I think there are two ways you can interpret this. One is that they somehow have deemed abortion to be a justifiable, um, justifiable atrocity, you know, it's, uh, you know, they, they weigh the, the inconveniences of the woman over the life of the fetus. And that's a, you know, a hard stance to take in my opinion, but some members may take that, but there's a second um, route that I think some people don't consider. So if someone does support legalized abortion, they may believe that abortion is morally wrong. In fact, I, I know someone close to me that's a I, I highly respect, and they take this stance. And I, I don't agree with it, but I can see where they're coming from. And so the stance is that while abortion is morally wrong, it is morally wrong to, to kill a, a fetus, a living human being, um, they believe that the way to stop the most abortions is to maintain legalized abortion and promote, um, you know, through other means like education and whatever other methods to try to lessen the amount of abortions that occur. So, you know, it's kind of a practical stance. So if you take that route, it's saying that, you know, I support a law that I believe is immoral, but I'm allowing it to bring about a greater good. So if you reason it that way, I suppose you could say that, and church members can hold that position. Um, and that's fine. But the stance of the church is pretty clear as we, as we stated. Yeah. And that's a, a interesting stance to take. And I think it's a very dangerous and slippery slope from there on, right? Uh, you can see if that bleeds into every other aspect of the gospel that you're really going to start tumbling down a, a pretty steep hill fairly fast, I, I believe. Um, and and, that, and that's a hard thing, you know. I mean, I've, I, I guarantee you'll have someone say, oh, well, you guys are just two white guys that are talking about abortion and, and what right do you have to say that, right? Which is a terrible argument to take. But, but ultimately, at the end of the day, good and bad are not defined by by who, who supports it necessarily, unless that person is God, right? Um, that re regardless of what political party you're affiliated with, regardless of, you know, whatever um, social, political, um, economic policies that you support, that the simple fact of the matter is that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of, of any church and any religion anywhere, believes in a life before this one. And we believe that that life continues into this world, right? And the stance the church has taken up to this point is that those fetuses, those living human beings, as you said, are literally living human beings. And so the aborting of one or the murdering or killing or or taking apart and, and pulling them out of, of a woman are committing murder to some degree. And so... Uh, the, the saddest thing, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure there's 
countless talks. I, I've read how many <laughs> talks throughout my life on, on abortion alone, but um, President Nelson actually spoke on this. I, I think it was in late 2000s, uh, 2008 or nine, I believe. But, but he talks about this as, as an assault on the defenseless is, is I think the title of the talk. And, mm-hmm. and I think that you understand that the critical nature of, of murdering innocent lives that we clearly define as living human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I think he hits pretty hard on that. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. You know, when you're, when you're arguing um, about this topic, I think really the premises often need to lie around what is the value of it. And the, as the church has taught, you know, through president Nelson's talk, uh, Elder Oaks has said things on this um, or president Oaks, I mean, and, uh, you know, there have been official stances taken, but ultimately, you know, the sanctity of life is highly deemed, you know, very uh, valuable. And, and we don't want to mess with that. That's a very sacred, sacred, uh, you know. So I think when you're, when you're having discussions with people, you know, even outside of the church, I think that's one of the first premises you, you really have to define as what is a fetus and what is the value? Well, where we stand is that it's invaluable. It's, it's comparable to human life. And, and the church, I'll, I'll point this out, they do not equate abortions with murder um, as far as you know, church reprimand stands. Now, that's not to say it's not very serious because it is very serious, um, but you can you know, repent of abortions if you're participating in them and become members in good standing with the church. They don't equate it with murder, um, but that's not to lessen the impact of participating in such a heinous act. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there are certainly exceptional cases that you can, you know, the church talks about. Um, but I actually, I should comment on that. Even though the church mentions that abortion may justifiably occur, such as when pregnancy results from rape, incest, or um, when the mother's life is at risk, etc., these cases are not automatic, you know, just uh, freebies like, oh, yep, you get an abortion. Even after those cases are happening, it, the, the church advises to seek through prayer and counsel uh, what decision should be made. So, you know, even if someone's raped, it's not like you should just automatically abort the baby. In, in my case, I don't see how one injustice justifies another injustice. So <laughs> that's kind of my personal stance. I'm kind of surprised the church, you know, give some of these exceptions, but I think they're, they're trying to be very understanding from where they're coming. Yeah, exactly. That it really does come down to a very case by case basis. And, and as, as far as I understand it, I, for the most part, um, especially if you have entered into the new and everlasting covenant, um, that after that point, it does become very, very, very serious. It's, it's serious before you're a member of the church, but not to the degree after you have made certain covenants with God. I'll, uh, DNC 132 actually just talks a little bit about how, uh, let me just actually find it real quick. But it says, uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which shall not be forgiven in the world, nor out of the world, is in that ye commit murder, wherein ye shed innocent blood, and assent unto my death. Um, and it continues and talks about those who had entered into the new everlasting covenant, uh, who have who've not lived this law shall be damned, saith the Lord. Um, and and I don't know. I would suggest that it is, it, it's a lot more grievous than we make it out to be. And just like you pointed out, that the church even in their official stance has said that um, not only is it something that we perhaps will give a few considerations, 
on very serious, um, you know, um, things that might be going on in that situation. But even in those serious cases of rape, incest, and, and so on, it still is advised to go and, and discuss this with, with the, your bishop and to figure it out with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think the, the answers to those questions that we specifically asked there, um, can active members hold the stance of legalized abortion? Yes. But um, generally the church promotes a pro-life stance. So you better, you know, you got to have good reasoning for it. And I, there are possible reasonings you can take, um, but just be careful what your reasons are. Um, and then what is the church's official stance? So I think we've answered both of those. Um, you know, I have lots of thoughts on this personally um, and, you know, responses to, I think, common arguments people are trying to use, which I think are all very, very weak arguments, you know, such as um, posing scenarios where the mother would be inconvenienced to some degree if she did not abort the baby, which is, you know, astonishing to me. How could you argue that? But uh, to elaborate further, you know, we'd be sharing our own personal opinion. So I'm fine to do that, but I don't know if we, we want to do that or if we want to move on, Cade. <laughs> but uh, how do you feel about our answer so far? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. And I, I, I don't know, I, I'll, if, if you agree with this, but uh, just to refine the first one a little bit, yes, we, we can support legalized abortion, uh, but that's a very limited scope of legalized abortion that, that I, I think the church would, that, that, you know, good, faithful, active members would be able to support is what it seems like to me. Definitely. Yeah. And the line, the line is very clear and you don't want to approach that because the church is saying, you may be, be excommunicated if you even promote this, if you encourage or support or pay for abortion. So like, you know, going out and holding pro-choice signs, like you can technically do it, but you got to be careful where that line is coming from. Because if you are supporting, you know, a, a woman living a pr promiscuous life and having abortions electively, you know, to, to save her of inconveniences of you know, the financial obligations of babies and stuff that that is wicked. That is pure wickedness. And you'll be excommunicated if you hold that stance. I, I want to be very clear, like, this is a very serious thing. And some church members are trying to wiggle their way into holding this stance for, you know, whatever motives they are uh, having for that. But yeah, I, I think the line is clear. So that's a good distinction. Uh, yeah, and that's a, a really good point. And um, I don't know, I, I, I think, one of the things that has sickened me the most, and I'll stop tangenting us so much today, I promise, but uh, one of the things that really sickens me about this is I've seen some videos or, or, or whatever of, of just these women who, who almost brag about going through and, and, and doing this terrible, terrible thing over and over and over again. And it, it, it's a very, very sad world that we live in today in the sense that this is something that people want, like you had said, just because it's an inconvenience financially or emotionally or uh, for your career aspirations. So you can go out and, and murder this child, which is, is terrible. Um, and I'd even suggest that, you know, the, the, the sign, one of the signs of the last times is that, you know, the father will rise up against his children and, and mothers against their daughters as well. And uh, I don't know. I think that we definitely can see a little bit of that today. Yeah, I think surely this is one of the biggest, if not maybe the biggest human rights issue that exists today, um, you know, as far as the scope goes. More people, you know, die from abortions each year, I think, than all the, the First and Second World War. Like and President Nelson talks about that in his talk called Abortion and Assault on the Defenseless, and it's, it's staggering. 
And, you know, it's hard because if you're coming from a secular point of view, like I, I read a book uh, called Freakonomics, and it was a pretty good book. Some economists that talked about random different scenarios and how to interpret different data. And uh, there was one where there's pretty good evidence to suggest that from the time that abortion became legalized, you know, about the Roe versus Wade time um, there in the 60s, late 60s, whatever. Um, from there, the generation after that was severely less violent and less criminal. And that was to the, you know, a huge uh, surprise to the economists at the time. Most economists had seen the crime rates and looking at the charts, they predicted that the 90s, uh, the 80s and 90s would be just huge amounts of crime based on the charts, but they weren't. It, it was a huge drop. And some economists attribute that to abortion saying, you know, because there were abortions, those babies that would have grown up and become criminals because they were raised in bad circumstances where they weren't fit to be raised, you know, they didn't, they didn't exist because they were terminated as, you know, people would use that argument or other arguments suggesting that there's a lot of good brought about by abortions or that abortions are safer than that, you know, than births. And so it's safer for the mom and whatever, whatever you're going with that route, all these reasons though, how can that compare with the value, the infinite value of a human life? I mean, their, their heart's beating as a fetus since they're two weeks old. Um, you know, they're definitely a human being. It, it, is, it is just staggering. No amount of financial inconvenience or emotional inconvenience can justify that. I mean, put the kid up for adoption. Let's give, give these women some support. You not have to go to that option. So anyway, to argue it as a woman's rights issue, I think, you know, there are relevant concerns being brought up none that outweigh the value of a fetus. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That was very, very well stated. And I'll even add just one other thought that's a little bit different um, to some degree. But but even if uh, abortion were continued to be legalized federally or even within your state, right, there will still be states after uh, for, for the ongoing future that will continue to legalize abortion to a similar degree, if not worse, right, in almost a, a reactive way, I would assume, is probably what will happen. Um, but whether or not it's legalized uh, is important to recognize that though something is legal does not necessarily make it moral, um, especially uh, when it comes to the things that God has decreed, right? Just because slavery was legal for, you know, many, many, many years does not mean that it was a good thing. And so I think that there are a lot of interesting things that you can take from this. But ultimately, getting back to these questions, yes, you can support legalized abortion to a very specific scope of, of, of atrocities that can go along with that. And even then it should not be considered as a first and foremost way to, to get rid of a child or as some sort of birth control. And yes, the church does take an official stance on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. You can keep the commandments while breaking the law of the land and you can keep the law of the land while breaking the commandments. So don't think just because something's legal, it's right and vice versa, but yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, we've given our answer there. And I know you guys have probably heard, if you're listening to this uh, close into the proximity of when, you know, this episode's released, you've heard lots of people give their opinions on this. And I think it's good, you know, people share their opinions and stuff. But um, yeah, make sure you're grounded. Use the spirit of discernment to read the scriptures. Um, it, there's definitely a lot in there that talks about the sanctity of life. So yeah, I'm, I'm good at uh, where we're at on that question. Unless you've got any other thoughts. No, yeah, let's move on. Okay. The other one. Okay. This next question is: Can little children sin since they are fallen man or inherited from fallen man, or is their nature not fallen? Are they truly incapable of committing sin, or are they just blameless of such actions because they're understood? 
Mm. Does that make sense? I, I didn't write this very well, but I can elaborate if needed. <laughs> no, I, th I think I, I think I understand. I, I did serve in the South. I feel like I've heard uh, a little bit oh, of yeah. original sin here and there and a little bit of everywhere. So <laughs> that's kind of what it's hinting at, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I would suggest, uh, to my understanding, agency, right? So uh, can, can they commit sin, right? Agency and accountability, right? Sin comes because you're accountable and you're accountable because you're able to choose. Um, but but just being able to choose does not, it, it doesn't make up the entirety of what agency is, uh, to, to my understanding, at least, right? Uh, I, I think um, children or anyone in general needs to, so far as I can sum it up, about four things in order to properly have agency to choose and thus be able to be blamed or if they don't have all four things they're not to be blamed and are as this question says blameless right um, so first and foremost there has to be a law right you have to have consequences to actions of what happens you have to have knowledge of, of good from evil right you have to be able to discern what's good and what's bad um, you have to have opposition if you're not able to choose from that good and bad there's no way you can choose and you have to have that ability to make that choice freely right so th those four things in my opinion are, are what's required just straight off the bat if someone can be culpable of whatever they've done they have to have all four of those things otherwise they don't and so uh, to my understanding because children do not have at least one of those and i would suggest it is a knowledge of good from evil they thus are not able to be blamed for committing their sin for example right you, i mean i don't know if you've dealt with kids I'm sure you, you know, do all the time coming home from work and you got my wife, two kids. <laughs> yeah. I, I just stay in my study. <laughs> no, but, but you deal with kids all the time and, and sometimes they do terrible things, right? <laughs> yeah. They can hit you. They can steal something. They can do things that would be deemed sinful by other people. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so I would suggest the reason why that is not considered a sin is not because of what they're doing, not because of the consequences of what they're doing, not because of their inability to make that choice to do what they do but because the knowledge of what they do is not full mm, okay i like that answer i think i agree with you too at some point i was pretty confused about this though because you know i read uh scriptures like when who is it moroni talking or mormon i know it is uh yeah moroni or no it's mormon sorry because it probably doesn't matter that much but he says um when he's talking in moroni 8 and Mormon's responding to his son about the baptism of little children. He said, wherefore, little children are whole, for they are not capable of committing sin. Wherefore, the curse of Adam is taken from them in me. And when I read that, I'm like, well, are they like not capable of it or are they just not blamed of it? But I, I think it is the, the former. Um, so, you know, I guess you just have to get a, over that stumbling block of you know, how to interpret capability there. <laughs> but um, so, Kate him again just curious what they sorry you cut out just a little bit there on me oh sorry i was just asking um could you repeat those four conditions that you mentioned for one i'm um, being uh, qualified okay, for sin yeah. yeah sure so one is there has to be a law right you have to have consistent consequences for what you do um the second one is knowledge knowledge of good from evil not necessarily good the knowledge of good and evil which are two separate things actually um opposition right if you don't have two choices to be able to choose you can't really make a proper choice right if you're just forced down one road of thought right if you're truly predestined to some degree um 
and that ability to make that choice freely of yourself to be an agent to act and not to be an agent to be act upon. Uh, and I, I'd suggest one of the probably best readings to kind of help understand this topic would be second Nephi two. Second Nephi two um, just goes out and kind of outlines quite a bit of this pretty well. I feel like. Mm, yeah. The opposition and the agency stuff. huh? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this, this makes me, there are two places I want to take this and one, I'm just going to ask real quick. So this makes me think about the nature of sin. And I'm thinking that sin is not so much an action as it is an, an intent. So, um, you know, a child can go through the same actions as an adult. And for the child, it is not a sin. But for the adult, it is a sin. It, it, you know, of course, the intention requires understanding and, you know, the conditions you said there. But um, what do you think of that? Do you think that's, that's true or, or maybe not so? That's just an idea I had. Um, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I don't know. I think sin is, as I understand sin, sin is digressing from our eternal potential, uh, in one way, shape or form. Um, I don't know if that answers the question very well, but I guess that's, that's a better definition of sin, but I'm just saying like the behaviors of sin, like murder, take murder or adultery, or I, I guess a lot of these things, you can think of a scenario where it's obviously a sin, but mm-hmm. most of those, I can think of another scenario where the same action is taken, but it is not deemed a sin. You know, like Abraham commanded to kill Isaac. That's murder unless God commands you, you know, or a man having a sexual relations with another woman. Well, what if, you know, he's married to her and it's a second wife or something, you know, I guess they're married. So it's not the same in that case. But right. anyway, it seems like the action itself is not... Well, I was going to say it's not immoral. It's the intention that's immoral. But maybe there are some actions that are just inherently immoral. Uh, I don't know, that you wouldn't take unless you had the intention. I'm not sure I'm still fleshing that out. Maybe it's not that crucial to, to flesh out. Yeah, I think I see kind of what you're saying. I, I, uh, to me, it seems like there are rules that are kept eternally. And 99.999% of the time, that's exactly what the rule is that there's no exceptions unless God decrees otherwise, which is very, very rare, right? For example, like you'd, you'd mentioned murder, but then again, if you really delve into this, I mean, right, murder, well, what about in war, right? I mean, how many people have gone to war that are still great people? Look at the Book of Mormon, look at, right? And you, you can start looking at these different things that you can do. And, and there are certain aspects of it that are somewhat um, approved by God, if not commanded by him, right? Go and destroy the Philistines over and over and over again, right? Um, and, and I don't know. I think that, yes, there are occasions where some laws seem to be overruled to a degree where you're, where it's kind of confusing. And I, I don't claim to know every single law and exactly how all of them work. But I would suggest that there are very, very, very rare instances where these laws are overcome in a way where they usually are not. Mm, okay. Does that, yeah. that kind of go along with what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, I think so. The circumstances um, determine a lot of the behavior. And uh, um, so the second thing I want to bring up real quick is more about um, the nature of the being committing a certain act or behavior. So like, you know, could a divine being who has a divine nature do something that would would probably be sinful if done by us, but if done by them, they're not guilty of it. Cause like a child, 
they had not the evil intention, you know, the, the malicious intention. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of any, any use cases of this, but I can't really. Um, but where I'm taking it is kind of like, you know, Jesus was called perfect. And I think most people, when they think of him, thought that he was like perfect and never said anything wrong and always dot, dotted his I's and crossed his T's and all that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I would go as far to say that I think some people questioned his, uh, his perfection. You know, if they knew the mortal Christ, they would have said, I, I don't know. Sometimes he did things that I thought would have maybe been a sin but maybe because he was doing them and he had a divine nature that the actions weren't sinful. And I don't know, that's, I'm going far out here, but. Uh, no, I no, I kind of, I'm kind of picking up what, what you're putting down a little bit, you know, sniffing what you're smelling a little bit. Um, I think, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I think that there really is kind of that dynamic where you see some of these, especially quote unquote, you know, great, great people, let alone Jesus Christ, who is perfect. And if he lived in the society we live in today, I mean, how many of us would be like, well, I don't know if, is that really perfect, you know? But Mm -hmm. um, I I think what it comes down to is some of these eternal laws, right? I don't think that they'll ever get rid of personality. I don't think having a certain personality, generally speaking, is a sin. (laughs) That you can still abide eternal laws and be yourself, a better yourself, a perfect yourself, but yourself nonetheless. And that's an important aspect of the gospel that even though, I don't know, even though someday, hopefully, um, a bunch of us will be exalted, we'll still be different people to some degree, right? We'll still have our personalities, I would hope, to, to some degree. Because if we all turned into these these robotic figures, I guess, I don't feel like we would continue to maintain our individuality as much as we need to. And so um, to me, it seems like there really is this need to abide these eternal laws, but they're not, I don't know, kind of like we've talked about in the past, that there is perhaps a bit of a wavelength in those laws, a little bit of give, right? Um, Kind of a little threshold, wherein if you stay within that, you're good. But I would suggest that divine beings to be as divine as they are, to be, you know, a celestial immortalized person and continue to be, for, for example, a god, you have to live those laws perfectly. Um, and if you don't, right, just as the Book of Mormon says multiple times, if God does not do certain things, he will cease to be God, right? Um, and so I think that those are kind of my quick little takes on that. I don't know if that yeah. helps at all. Yeah, yeah, I know it's kind of a weird topic. And I think some of our listeners, I hope you guys aren't, uh, it's not coming off too weird to you, but don't mistake what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying that, um, you know, Jesus was a sinful man or that, um, you know, there's so much wiggle room we can take. I, I guess what I'm saying is just, yeah, maybe there's some personality that, uh, you know, we can have as divine beings and even Jesus, um, you know, he really bent some of the, or stretched the pharisaical interpretation of the laws of Moses. Actually, he outright broke the pharisaical interpretations of the laws, like, you know, eating corn in the field on the Sabbath or whatever. And Pharisees come to him and like, Hey, what, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. And you know, he tells them, no, I'm not. And I'm the one that gave the law. So anyway, um, I don't know, kind of a weird ramble. So let's just cut that one off. Hope you guys have enjoyed that very weird place to take that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so at the end of the day, um, it, 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 I don't know, little children, for example, can't commit sin because they don't have that. I, I would further suggest people who are, are born with uh, certain uh, inabilities to do things, right? People who have special needs to some degree, right? When they're not fully developed. Um, and don't truly have one of those four uh, abilities to 
control themselves or to truly understand what they're doing, right? They're, they're mentally at the age of six or something, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of my take on that. Yeah. Yeah. And a very merciful take, I think, of the father to, to take into account the circumstance and mind of the person. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, about all I have on that. You have anything else to add? Uh, no, I better not. Okay. <laughs> you guys want some more random I, moments with Mike? <laughs> I don't know. It could be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> now let's move on. Okay. Well, so this, this uh, next and last question we got here is we hear about the gathering of Israel a lot. Uh, what is it and what is my role? Mm, this is the, the question I didn't really spend a ton of time on. Um, so sorry for not qualifying myself super well for this, but uh, this is one of those questions that is a practical one. And um, when we were putting it on the, the board tonight, uh, um, I was telling Cade this, you know, a lot of times we do questions that are kind of doctrinal, you know, where we're just elaborating on the doctrine and the stance of the church and such. But this one has practical application, uh, very much so. Um, so what do we do, you know, because uh, we've been assigned to gather Israel and it's a very important part to the precursor to the second coming and even after the second coming i think um but yeah i think really gathering israel you know if i had to just give an answer off the top of my head which i do right now is (laughs) is to gather the covenant keepers uh make israel like the people you know who keep make and keep covenants and uh, that's you know missionary work helping people to come to that that place and I think there's maybe the literal gathering too, you know, of um, the literal descendants of Israel, but um, Israel really, I think can symbolize deeply that, that covenant people. Um, And it seems like in these last days, it has become more of a less of a literal thing, you know, as like the literal blood lineage of Israel uh, and more of like the, the covenant keepers and the righteous and those who are willing to, to become Israel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I will I will uh, uh, pre- preface this just a little bit. I love the topic of the gathering of Israel and Zion and all that you know millennial stuff. I think it's like the coolest stuff in the entire world. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what it is, right? Israel is for for those who haven't gone through and read the Bible, I'd, I'd highly suggest reading Genesis. But Israel is Jacob, right? Jacob receives a new name, and and his twelve kids basically become these twelve tribes of Israel, and they're kind of hooligans. Sometimes it seems to me from the little text of them that we have, and it's some very interesting stories of <laughs> Simeon and Levi hooligans. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just saying, man. I mean, just some weird stories. Like, they go, I mean, just the weirdest story. They go out and and their sisters like over trying to date this guy. And the guy's like, I want to marry her, and they're like, Oh, well, we're a covenant people, so all of you guys have to get circumcised if you want to. So he's like, Okay. So th- their whole city gets circumcised, and they go and just slaughter all of them and take their goods and i'm like holy crap this is who we we trace our lineage through <laughs> yeah they're tricksters <laughs> getting them with the old circumcised being sore on the third day trick <laughs> <laughs> like seriously it's just uh, anyway the, the, long story short <laughs> israel is the covenant people of, of god right god makes a covenant with abraham with isaac with with jacob and that's the last of, of these um you know uh fathers the original fathers that we kind of have in in, in scripture and and everything goes back to him because and and there's a lot of doctrine i can get into but i won't uh, run through that we're already kind of running a little short on time but long story short um 
one of the critical aspects of the gospel is to to return to God's presence, and that was not fulfilled with with Israel. Right? Moses goes and tries to liberate them, and uh, they they weren't able to see the face of God either because they were wicked. So anyway, long story short, God has this covenant with with these Israelites, and we too, members today, we still consider ourselves Latter Day Israel. That um, as much as as Israelites in the past have you know that same blood from Jacob, from Isaac, from Abraham, and it flowed in their veins. Um, there's some interesting doctrines. Joseph Smith taught. He, he basically says your blood literally changes when you're baptized, right? That, right. Um, yeah, I mean, cool, cool stuff. Like very, very cool stuff that you literally become adopted into the house of Israel to to receive all those blessings. And there's a lot that goes along with this. That there's, you know, um, you know, back back in, in these ancient days, being a firstborn, you know, in, inheriting what your father has is is a huge deal. And that's why, you know, when certain people are wicked, you lose your birthright and it gets passed to someone else, right? To the next eligible person. Um, and that's exactly what happens, right? And so I don't know, long story short, Israel is one of three things, I guess. It's it's actually Israel himself, right? Jacob. It is the descendants of Israel, or it's the kingdom of, of those descendants. And that's kind of how you'll you'll hear Israel being referred to in, in scripture and in talks and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I'm kind of digressing. Uh, what even so, so ahead. like, so I'm, if we're taking it in that literal sense, um, Israel was scattered uh, through their wickedness. They were the ten tribes went north. north. The two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, went south, and whatever, and. You know they're they're physically and literally scattered across the earth. So there is maybe a literal gathering of Israel element to it, right? Um, there's that, but do you also think uh, it goes beyond that? How do you interpret the like the practical gathering part? What does that actually mean? Good question. Okay, that's actually this. Like I said, this is one of my favorite topics. I think it's so interesting. And if you haven't read it, I'd recommend the Second Coming of the Lord by Gerald Lund. Uh, he has some interesting stuff on, on this topic per se too. I don't know if I can remember off the top of my head, but, but anyway, in the literal sense of, of gathering Israel, right? You have them scattered throughout the world, supposedly, right? The 10 tribes go North and there's some interesting quotes on what that could be. <laughs> um, but, but ultimately Israel's lost, right? They're, they're spread out through the people. We know that, uh, the Nephites, uh, right? Lehi was a descendant of Ephraim and, uh, Ishmael was one of Manasseh or vice versa. I don't remember one of the two, but, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh are, 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 those two tribes and they come over here into the Americas and, and you have the blood of Israel that continues to spread over the earth. Right. And so at, the, at this point, basically, as I understand it uh, from everything I've read, pretty much every single person has at least a drop of, of true Israelite blood in them at this point of time. Um, that being said, uh, how, how do we gather Israel? Do we, you know, start knocking on every single door and, you know, give them like a little blood test, you know, prick them with a needle and, you know, no, that's, that's not what we're going to do, you know? And, and, and so what it comes down to is, I believe it's DNC, is it 110 where, uh, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery received the keys of the priesthood. Um, and one of them, Moses gives them the keys of gathering of Israel. And so one thing I always thought is like, well, why would Moses give them the keys of gathering of Israel? Because Moses doesn't even really gather them, right? I mean, they're already kind of just bundled up over in Egypt being slaves. All he does is kind of liberate them, and but, but not really gathering them. And so my, my thought would be this. In the sense of gathering, not in the physical sense, though that surely shall occur, um, though it will be millennial, um, in, in the sense of actually gathering Israel, those same keys that Moses had were used to gather them in a very spiritual sense. That as he brought them, un, or attempted at least, to bring them, unto the true God of Israel. 
that so is our, our duty and obligation today. As President Nelson says, he says that uh, um, to gather Israel, um, the way to do that is to help others make and keep covenants. So I was right. Wow. Yeah. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, a little, I'm relieved little to hear that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I, actually, yeah. I was, when you asked me this question, I was, I was kind of like, oh, we were talking about this question this week? I didn't even study that at all. But uh, anyway, no, that's, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of the gist I get is that it's, you know, it has to do with the covenant keeping and, uh, you know, it's probably missionary work and stuff, but yeah, it's interesting about that, that literal parts. And, you know, going back, it is, it is really interesting. It makes me think about God's relationship with people and how, I know it said interesting already. I'm going to abuse the word, how interesting <laughs> it is that God you know, had a people like, you know, that Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, you know, that's only one family, but that is the covenant family. Like there weren't others really mentions, you know, in the scriptures, that's where we trace our, our covenants lineage to, and that God would respect those people because of their righteousness and their covenants and the other people around the earth, you know, uh, who knows what was happening to them, uh, heathen nations, you know, lost in confusion and wickedness. Um, but yeah, just the covenant people relationship with God is very interesting. And I think it tells us a lot about the attributes and character of God and that dynamic that uh, we certainly don't understand in our current conception. Yeah, no, and, and it's a it's a huge deal, right? Like to have God be your God, right? I mean, it's said multiple times throughout the Old Testament for sure. Um, you know, and I will make, you know, and we will, we will have thee to be our God and I will be thy, thy Lord. Um, but when it comes down to it, I, I think it's really, really cool that, that we understand today that he is our God as well. That uh, th those who have been to the temple know that there are certain blessings that are bestowed upon us. One of which is that priesthood shall descend through our posterity. That is one of the greatest blessings that you can receive is that these that the, the ability to continue to make those covenants doesn't end with you. That that, that sealing power in a real sense enacts not just with you, but within your descendants, that they can receive those same blessings, right? Of, uh, of eventually eternal life. Yeah. And you know, um, it, it is really a merciful time that God has right now. You know, this is really the most expansive um, intervening act of God to, to give, I mean, going out to the, the olive vineyard and, you know, I guess just spreading the gospel so much uh, compared to, you know, what's happened in the history of the earth. It's staggering. Um, you know, and me as a, as a member right now, I feel like kind of in a weird position because I feel like a Gentile, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy with my heritage <laughs> in England and Germany. And, um, you know, those, those are like Gentile nations, you know, and when the scriptures are talking about Gentiles in the last days, largely they're, they are talking about, you know, some of those, those areas. And, and so it's weird, but I also feel like a, a covenant per, you know, person, who has gained access to these ancient covenants that were foreign to me, but now I've been adopted in. So I don't know if you've ever felt that way, Kate, but I feel kind of in, you know, like I'm spread between these two worlds. And <laughs> luckily, you know, mercifully, I, I have been, you know, given that gift by God to, to have these covenants. But I don't know. It's also weird to kind of feel like a Gentile at no. the same time. No, you're, I think you're completely right on that though. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we do know is, you know, uh, as the scriptures teach that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? That uh, like, like we've talked about before, the gospel first came to the Israelites when Christ came and then to the Gentiles, right? And Acts 11 and 12, right? When 
Peter gets that vision and, and then starts preaching to the Gentiles. And in this dispensation, it's the exact opposite. It first has come to the Gentiles and will later go to the, the Jews, right? To the, the actual Israelites, those who are what, what we would consider today is modern Israel, right? Those who are actually, you know, not as, as you're kind of saying, one of these Gentiles that's more adopted in, though you probably have a couple drops of Israelite blood in you. You're, I mean, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I find it kind of funny. There's a, an awesome talk by Matthew Kelly, actually uh, titled Miracles. I think I've mentioned it before, but but he even mentions in that he's he, he, he has a joke where he essentially says that, you know, that these he, he served in New Zealand. He's like, and these these Israelites, I mean, they they tell you something and, and you better believe it because they got some faith. Not like you, you Gentiles over there. And and, and it's true, you know, that, that there really is a lot of power that comes through that. And even Joseph Smith distinguishes the the Jews or the the Gentiles and the true Israelites um, and the effects that the Holy Spirit has on them uh, compared to those who are adopted into the house of Israel. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. Wow. Yeah, well, certainly a fascinating topic. Um, having to use synonyms here because I've used interesting too much, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know where, what else to say with this, but in a practical sense, I guess it, I could just say that it does seem to be, what would you say? Just sum it up in, in missionary work and helping people make covenants and also spreading the, our lineage of a covenant people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, President Nelson says it very well, help others keep and make sacred covenants. Right. And, and that's, that's the real way to do it, right? Through, through baptism, through, I, I mean, and, and, you know, you hear, oh, keep and make covenants and they just invite them to mutual. And that's as far as they ever go. Or they say, oh, you know, well, I, I went to church on Sunday. That's a, that's a great start. But I, I think if you limit it yourself to that, that you're not going as far as we ought to. And I don't know, there, there's some powerful quotes. President Nelson, he basically says, you know, this is the most important thing that is going on right now. And you've, we've heard that reiterated to some degree over the last couple of years. Um, and yet I don't think that sometimes we truly understand what our role is in that. And, and there's a lot of, you know, interesting stuff that, uh, to coin your word a little bit, <laughs> um, that, that, you know, we could, we could delve into, you know, like are, are there different roles of the different tribes or, you know, when is the, the literal gathering of Israel and, and so on and so forth? Why, why do we only see these Ephraim and, and Manasseh, but we don't see any, you know, Judah or Reuben or whatever, you know, and, and there's a lot of awesome topics that, that can be bundled up into this. But ultimately, like you said, plain and simple, our, our role in gathering Israel right now is to share the gospel, whether it's through temple work, whether it's through missionary work, whether through it's through doing and making and keeping covenants ourselves and having posterity that can continue to do so. Um, that's, that's the role that we've uh, been tasked to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it does seem like uh, Ephraim and Manasseh have been tasked with, largely with the gathering hunt. This is like uh, my wife's sister randomly, her patriarchal blessing said she's from Judah. We're like, what? Oh, where, wow. where did that come from? You know, and <laughs> like, I guess you get off scot-free. You know, you don't have to, <laughs> don't have to do any of this gathering stuff, but just leave it to us. No, <laughs> yeah, That's lots awesome. of topics we could take. And, then, and guys, I'm kind of joking. So if anyone's like, I can't believe he said that. Judah doesn't have to gather. <laughs> I joke. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm. I've got enough. Uh, I've said on that, but uh, yeah, certainly important topic and one that I need to focus on more. So I'm. I'm glad you. You were very passionate about this and and knew more than I did about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for your insights. That's a lot of fun. I don't really have much else to add on, unless we wanted to stay for another hour or two. But uh, we can always yeah. crack open the alien or feminism. Topics. I'm just kidding. All right. Guess that's our cue to end it.
So uh, we we always uh, love doing these episodes. Hope you guys enjoy them as well as us. Um, and uh, we would really love to hear any of your list, you know, of you listeners, uh, your feedback. If you guys have questions, or if you're not really the type that comes up with many questions, just give us some feedback. So uh, look at the Google form in the in the notes here in the description, and give us some feedback or shoot us a question. Any question, we love talking about stuff, and uh, you know, we've got plenty to say, uh, whether or whether or not it's uh, relevance you know, more or less, but uh, we really enjoy it. So we'll uh, see you guys next week with another episode and hope you're, hope you have a good time until.